0: Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. You might like to uh, flick back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, I think it's page 573. And on the way in, you would have got one of these uh, little outline things. Uh, If that's useful to you, you can take some notes on the back of that. I've called this sermon, How to Put Up Your Christmas Lights, and that's always useful knowledge, isn't it? Uh, But I'm also going to pray that God would help us to understand his word, um, especially from this passage. So just please, would you pray with me? Father, we pray now that uh, in uh, the business of all the things that are going on in our lives and in the heat of this afternoon, Father, that you would help us to focus our minds and that we would hear you speak to us now. So please, would you do just that? By your Spirit, would you open our hearts and minds to hear you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been 11 months since you dusted off that old, worn box, you open it feeling both excited and fearful. You know the box I'm talking about, the Christmas lights box? Yeah, of course you do. You're feeling excited, of course, because this is the most wonderful time of the year. At least that's what Bing Crosby says to you who's playing in the room just nearby. But you feel just a little bit fearful as well because last year, you know, when you picked that box open, there was this huge huntsman spider who seemed last year to have received, you know, steroids for Christmas. And you're hoping that this year he hasn't returned with a vengeance. But it's good. Good news, right? Because this year as you open that box, he's not there. There's no sign of such an insidious creature. And so you begin that mammoth task of untangling the mess, wishing that only you'd done a better job last year of wrapping them up nice and tidy, but you didn't before you plug the lights in to see if they work. And great, they work. So you begin that task of decorating the Christmas tree with the lights and as you do, there's this feeling of joy that rises up inside you because this is Christmas time. There's the magic in the air and there's also that expectation, longing, that hope. Because you recall Christmas's past and you think to yourself, this year, this is it. This is going to be the year where it's all going to come together. The family tensions will melt uh, you know, the sorrow of those who, who can't be here will vanish. And this year, of course, right? The kids will be courteous and polite as they open their Christmas presents. They'll say, thank you for such thoughtful and kind gifts. And they won't even be a little bit bored with them before it's dinner time. But you see, part of the problem for you and for me is that our hopes have been and our expectations have been surreptitiously hacked somehow, Right? Because the marketing geniuses have got inside your head and you've believed the lie that, well, just like this one, that you can make the dream yours this Christmas. That's IKEA's ad. Now, even if you're a little bit sceptical of a message like that, you can make the dream yours this Christmas. Well, it's what you'd love deep down, isn't it? This Christmas would be the dream Christmas. After all, it's the season of expectations, the season of longings and of waiting, Advent, right? And we're going to sing a song in a little bit, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because we long for better days to come. Now, our expectations play such a big part in our experience of human life, don't they? When things meet our expectations, we're delighted. Wasn't that great? But when they don't, we often feel disappointed or frustrated. And yet so often our expectations are not met. And ads like that one from Ikea, well, ads like that are over-promising what your Christmas will be like. Sorry to spoil it for you, but it's probably not going to be your dream Christmas unless things go perfectly well. But at the same time as over-promising, the irony is they're also selling Christmas short. Because... Finding the best kind of joy at Christmas has everything to do with putting up the Christmas lights. But they're not the kind of lights that you buy at Ikea. And that idea of putting up the Christmas lights or putting up the lights was something that God's people in the Old Testament, around halfway through the 8th century BC, well, they were thinking about that too. And what I want to do uh, just for a little while this afternoon is take us back to the time of Isaiah. Isaiah. Because the people of God halfway through the 8th century BC are doing pretty well economically. Everything looks nice and shiny on the outside. They've got gold and silver and fine linen. They've got all the wealth, all the trappings. King Ahaz is king over Israel, but underneath the shiny bling resides a tragic darkness. Now why? What's the darkness? Well, that darkness comes because... Well, God, the God of Israel, was meant to be the apple of their eye, but he's just become some other deity. They've forsaken the God who loves them. And so because of that, Isaiah has spoken words of coming judgment to the people of Judah, to the people of Israel, and he, he speaks of a time that's going to come because Assyria, who's the, the superpower of the day, the military and political superpower, they're expanding their empire, and they're doing it by crushing their enemies. So have a look in your Bibles. If you've got Isaiah uh, chapter 9 open, have a look just one verse before Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 8 verse 22. And listen to the picture that he paints here. He says, "...and they will look to the earth... But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. You see, the judgment that's to come is more than just political turmoil, it's spiritual too. Because that idea of darkness in the Bible, well, it talks, it talks about a couple of things, right? It talks about, it talks about evil and it talks about ignorance. We're going to explore that in a moment, but the question that Israel are going to Ask themselves, is there light for us? Is there light for the people of God? Have a look with me at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. This is what he says But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations what Isaiah is saying here is that when human attempts at at justice and order and peace have failed, God himself is going to step in. He promised a glorious rescue from within the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. Right now, those towns in the northern part of Israel, those were some of the first towns to be captured by the nation of Assyria. And so what happened was that the Assyrians and the, the people of Israel, they intermixed and intermarried and the religion got all mixed up. And so later on, by the time of Jesus, those, nation, those towns were despised. Pfft. As if he'd come from Zebulun. As if you would come from Naphtali. But do you see what Isaiah says here? God will make even those regions glorious again. And on that day, it'll be a day of light and of life and joy and victory. Have a look at verse 2 with me. He says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them a light has shone. And do you know what? Just like in Judah in the 8th century, we live in a world that's under the shadow of darkness. That idea refers to both evil and ignorance, doesn't it? Ever since that first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, that first evil rebellion against God, we see that darkness play out in relationships everywhere. see, our world is marred by the darkness of violence and injustice, of homelessness and suffering and grief. You know it, don't you? And our world is, at the same time, so often unable to see how to fix those problems. A few years ago, there was a New York Times ad that ran and it said this, The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we'll be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Let me just read that again. The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we'll be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Now, I like that. It's a real positive message, isn't it? But it's nonsense. And it's nonsense because it suggests that we've got the light inside us That can solve all the world's problems. We'll just work harder and strive harder to create a world of peace and justice, but it won't work. Now, why? Well, it's because the problems run deeper. The darkness covers all of our hearts. My greed and my selfishness and my dishonesty and my lust for more and yours too— cover our hearts with a darkness that can't be driven out by fairy lights or tinsel. But did you notice what Isaiah said? Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Isaiah's is saying that we can't fix it ourselves. The light's got to come from outside. The light's got to come from God. He's the one who puts the lights up. And the putting up of that light has some incredible effects. Have a look at me at verse 3. Because of that light, he says, You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What Isaiah is saying in those verses is that there's a day coming in the future which will be like what happened for Israel in their past. Now, if you're slightly confused, I had to look it up as well. What's he talking about when he talks about Midian? Well, he's referring back to the time of the judges, and one judge in particular when God won an incredible victory through Gideon. Through Gideon and his 300 men with some torches, they conquered a huge Midianite army because God is the God who can do the impossible. Do you know what? That is exactly what is needed here. It's what Israel needed, and it's what we need too. And so Isaiah goes on and says in verse 5 that all of the instruments of war will be burned up in the fire. Don't need them anymore. The God will bring freedom from oppression. What has is Isaiah said so far? He said there's a day coming when when light and the, the light and life of God will overcome darkness and death. And that victorious rescue will bring joy and rest for the people of God. What a message that is, but but how? How could Israel possibly believe that was going to come true? Well, it's going to, be, it's going to come through the gift of a glorious son. And we'll get to that in just a second. but well, I want to tell you a true story before we get there. You see, I want to tell you a story about a man or a boy named George. Now George seems to have been born a musician. He was almost instantly good at both the violin and the organ. I don't know how you do that. Try and teach my kids those things. Sounds horrific. But he was good. Now his operas became increasingly popular as he continued to compose. But by 1737, this 52-year-old composer suffered a stroke which left his right arm temporarily paralysed. And a doctor wrote about George. We may save the man, but this musician is lost forever. It seems to me that his brain has been permanently injured. But George defied the diagnosis. Over time, his body responded to to some treatment in the thermal springs of Germany. I don't know where they are, but they sound delightful. And so George eventually returned to composition. But he left crowds disappointed. He'd lost that spark. But then in 1741, a friend left George a manuscript. And the manuscript quoted heavily from this passage and quite a number of others in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere in the Bible. And as he read, the words were about to read... For unto us a child is born. This is what a biographer wrote about George Frederick Handel. The notes distilled upon his mind faster than he could put pencil to paper. And upon completing his composition, George humbly acknowledged, God has visited me. And now Handel's Messiah is one of those pieces which you can't help but feel roused by. People stand up when the Hallelujah Chorus comes because... Well, you couldn't do anything else, could you? And just listen to the hope that is filled, in these, uh, filled with these verses. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God is the one who will do the impossible. The one who's going to transform the darkness of Israel and bring this new dawn of a great light. But he's not going to come with thunder and lightning. He's not going to do it through an all-conquering army. Did you notice what he's going to do? He's going to bring a baby. Small. Vulnerable. Human in every way, just like you and I am. A son who is given. And when he uses that word son, he means a son who would be like his father. What kind of son will this be? What kind of son will be given? Well, did you notice the way that Isaiah describes him? He uses four titles. The first one there is he gives him the title Wonderful Counselor. Now, I've got to say, in today's day and age, we need good counsel, don't we? And this son who is to be born, his instruction would be a delight because he reveals the wisdom of God to those who would otherwise stumble in the dark. We need a counselor like that, but he's more than that. He's more than just someone who has good advice or great advice. He's also the mighty God, the one who's powerful, almighty, full of glory. Now, if that scares you just a little bit that this baby who will be born would also be God, well, the next the next title helps to fill that picture out because not only is he the mighty, all-conquering God, but he's also the everlasting father. He'll follow the pattern of God's perfect fatherhood, the one who care for and provide for his people like a father might care for their child. And this care and protection won't be spoiled by death. He's the everlasting father. And what's more, he'll be the prince of peace, not just bring peace between us, but between us and the God who made us. And one day he'll bring an end to all war. Did you notice verse 7? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore and the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this it's an important thing to realize that god's timing is so different to ours because it's 700 years between isaiah saying those words and that prophecy being fulfilled now i don't know about you but have you ever tried to wait 700 years for something that is a very long time to wait But God's people had these promises to cling to, to hold on to. They had to trust in God and his track record in the past that what he promised would come true in the future. And God kept his promises. This son was born. Did you notice in that reading that we had just before from Matthew chapter 4? It's on the screen for you to have a look at. And Jesus, leaving Nazareth, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. In where? The territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can I say to you this afternoon that Jesus is the one true Christmas light that we need? Because he's a light that comes from outside and he brings life and truth and beauty to the world. That's what light does, isn't it? Light brings life and truth and beauty into our world. And it's because of this most incredible gift. Did you notice? To us, a son is given. Because of this incredible gift, well, our pride can be done away with. You see, Jesus is the gift that causes us to swallow our pride because when Jesus came, he experienced the darkness of the wrath of God so that we might come into the light of salvation. Isn't that good news? That as Jesus hung there on the cross at the very end of his life, the whole land fell into deep darkness so that we wouldn't have to. And when Jesus rose victorious over the darkness of sin, he brought the light of life to every single one of us who would put our trust in him. And friends, that's how to put up the true Christmas light this year. To come before God and ask that Jesus might be your light, the light that would transform your dark heart. To come before God and ask for His forgiveness and for His salvation and to wait for His coming again. Now if that's something that you haven't yet done, then let me ask you to consider doing that this Christmas. To know that Jesus might be your light, the one true light who can really shine a light into your heart. That you would wait with confidence for that final day, not with fear. Because the implements of war are not all destroyed. There is a day that's coming where Jesus will do that. And so we have to wait. And so will you wait, wait, will you wait with the right kind of expectations? That just as God promised once upon a time to his people Israel and he came, so too he's promised that his son will come again. He will come again in glorious and final victory. And friends, if you already know that truth, if you know that Jesus is your light and your salvation, the one who you're waiting for, well, that transforms your life in so many ways. And so I want to finish with a story this afternoon which I discovered this week. It's not my story. Uh, It's a story of another person, a a minister uh, who is known to some of us. And he writes about his mum. But I'm going to tell this story in the first person just because it's easier to relate to. Because at age 40, this man writes, he watched his, uh, sorry, mum watched her husband drive himself off to live with a stranger. This woman who would become his second wife, the next week on payday, there was exactly $1 left in mum's account. Couldn't get more rock bottom than that, right? Except it could. One day she went to church on a Sunday, and Dad, knowing that she'd be there, came over to the house while she was out and came and took some of his own stuff, stereos and all sorts of things. And she opened the door to find that he'd been and taken all that stuff, and she just slumped into the hallway and burst into tears. Yet, in the midst of all that pain with my father gone out of her life, seemingly for good, there was always one thing that Mum did she prayed for Dad. Every day. One by one, first me and then a second brother, then a third, made amends with Dad. But Mum, she never saw Dad in all that time. Yet she still prayed and she urged us to do the same. By the time that Mum had retired, Dad had gone quiet, eerily quiet. I hadn't heard from him for nearly a year. No calls, no call-arounds, nothing. Nothing. Not a peep. I knew something was wrong, but didn't know what. Turns out, Dad's second marriage had ended pretty much the same way the first one did. Him driving off in the car, but this time alone and with no one. And soon after, we were having a party at a house, and Mum phoned me. She sounded a bit strange. "Can I bring someone with me?" she said. "Yeah, sure. Who is it?" "Your dad." She said simply. He phoned me to say how sorry he is. She said, I've always prayed that this day would come. I was speechless. How could this happen? But Dad turned up, and it was almost too much. Mum spent most of the afternoon alternating between crying and laughing. And things got slowly better. You see, he knew grace was there, but... He could also see that the, the stone that he'd thrown those decades, thrown into the pond those decades ago so recklessly had caused ripples that he had no control over now. But his dementia, when it came on, came very quickly. Louis body dementia, to be exact, and it's awful. You see, before long, memory loss became loss of speech. And then loss of motor skills. Dad went from a walking stick to completely bedridden, unable to move, to, to speak, to feed or clean himself. And mum would visit him constantly. She'd bring him nice things and she'd pray with him. But one day, I walked in, into the room, and mum was there, but the smell was overpowering. Dad had soiled himself. With all that modern nappy technology, it had spilled onto the floor. And mum? Well, she was on her hands and knees cleaning it. I said, mum, let me get a nurse for you. She said, I've got this. I've got this. She waved me away. After all the mess that dad had left her to deal with, mum was prepared to get down on the floor and clean up dad's mess, not when he could do anything for her, but when he was helpless and hopeless and dying. It was a pure unadulterated expression of grace from a woman who prayed for a man who didn't deserve it, who'd prayed her prayers for so many years. And friends, this afternoon I want to say to you how much more than the grace of the Lord Jesus, who looking down at you and me That us lying there helpless and dying in darkness and in our own mess held up his hand and he said, I've got this. I've got this. Because when Jesus came, he was the true light of God who brings life and salvation. And because of what Jesus has done, God's people await a glorious future. So let me encourage you to put up the right kind of Christmas light. This year. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus, the one who we can truly call the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Father, this Christmas, this Advent, as we recall the first coming of the Lord Jesus, would you help us to know that Jesus is our light and our salvation? Would you help us to look forward to his coming again? And Father, we pray that you'd help us to put up that light in our hearts this Christmas. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.